five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 19 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM, and you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram at Sir DRJM. You can, of course, find this podcast on podcast services around the globe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast Services, wherever you might look. Um, if you find something that it's not on, please reach out to me either on Twitter or Instagram at SirDrJM. And if you'd like to interact with the show, please reach out to me there as well. Now, this podcast is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we discuss everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. We will start this week with a few news stories, as there have been a few more since our last episode. We'll then, of course, uh, normally we would look at an owl recap of the previous week's matches in the Overwatch League. However, as the Overwatch League has been on a break, that segment won't happen this week. But we'll then move on to Owl Fly Natcha, where we will cover the upcoming week's games in the Overwatch League. So, without further ado, let's get right to the news. Playtime's over. Our first news story comes from DottieSports.com and is posted by Rachel Samples, and it reads something like this. Dallas Fuel acquires paintbrush from the Los Angeles Gladiators. Former Los Angeles Gladiators support Nolan Paintbrush Edwards is headed to the Lone Star State. The Dallas Fuel has welcomed the support player from the LA-based team, the Overwatch League organization announced today. Today, of course, in this context was June 7th. Paintbrush signed with the Gladiators ahead of the 2020 season. The support played his first games of the year with the Overwatch League team in a series against the Boston Uprising in May, in which the Gladiators lost 2-3. I know, hard to believe at, the, at this time. The Gladiators later made it to the May Melee Tournament quarterfinals, where they were knocked out of contention by the Philadelphia Fusion. Paintbrush's departure from the team leaves the Gladiators with the Finnish support duo of Jonas Shaz Suvara and Benjamin Big Goose Isohani. The pair are the only remaining members of the Los Angeles Gladiators' original Season 1 lineup. With today's signing, the Fuel have a total of five support players on its lineup. Earlier in the week, the Dallas-based team parted ways with DPS Zachary Zachary Lombardo, who announced his retirement from the Overwatch League to pursue a professional career in Riot Games' newly released tactical shooter, Valorant. Fans can catch the Dallas Fuel in action when the Overwatch League returns June 13th. So, interesting uh, story there. Um, you know, not not super interesting, the fact that he's being traded from Los Angeles to Dallas. I think, uh, although Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken is currently sitting higher in the standings. Yep, looks like they're in 13th position, and Dallas is sitting in 15th. Um, you know, the two teams being a bit farther apart in different kind of divisions means that they don't, you know, they won't face off against each other too, too much. So not not a ton of interesting stuff going on there with those two being traded. That said, what is interesting about this is that that puts the fuel at five support players. So um, that's definitely interesting because it does say that uh, Dallas might be looking to trade away some of their support players. So if I pull up the Dallas Fuels roster here, let's take a quick look at who they have on their support lineup. So currently we have Harry Hook on support. We have 
Unco on support, we have Closer on support, we have Crimzo on support, and of course we now have Paintbrush on support. So they've definitely got some some pieces to work with there. I know we've seen Harry Hook somewhat recently. I know, I mean, honestly, I think we've pretty much seen all of these guys, Unco, Closer, Crimzo. I think Crimzo is probably the mainstay. He's the one that jumps out at me. Um, I know Harry Hook and Closer have both been getting quite a bit of playtime, but again, it's not to say that any of them haven't been getting played, because I think we've been seeing them all. But that said, um, perhaps Dallas could be looking to offload one of their uh, good or, or decent support players um, with the, the acquisition of Paintbrush coming into the lineup now. Regardless, it'll be interesting to see what Dallas can do in the next little while. Um, as that article mentioned, they've got a game coming up here on Saturday, June 13th, but we'll get to that soon. The next story I want to cover is, again, from .esports.com. This time, Kale Michael writes, Toronto Defiant General Manager Jason Wan retires from esports. The article reads like this. After nearly two years with the Toronto Defiant, the Overwatch League team's general manager, Jason J. Wan, is retiring from his position and will leave the esports scene. Jay's de decision to step away from the team he helped build comes after a year of contemplation and deciding that he wants to try and pursue other ventures. Jay has been with the organization since it joined the Overwatch League in 2018 as an expansion team and helped create its entire competitive roster. And even before the OWL, Jay managed teams since the Overwatch beta, which led to more than half a decade of experience in the eSport. But now Jay has decided that it's time to move on to try new things. Quote, I gradually lost passion in eSports and my role in it, Jay said. It was starting to affect both my mental and physical health. However, I leave with no regrets. It's been six good years in esports. I've managed teams, seeing them from three different world championships pre-OWL, and did my best to steer the Defiant through two seasons. Along with thanking fellow GMs, the players, and the fans who made his experience special, Jay reminisced about his first steps into OW esports. Quote, I remember the day that Bradford asked me to manage his OW team, Jay said. To me, I thought it would be I thought it would just be a side gig as I transitioned out of the army. There was no way I could have known, while being farmed by Brandon in closed beta, that OW would lead me to a career for over half a decade. Jay steps away from the Defiant finished. Jay steps away after the Defiant finished tier tied for ninth place in the Owl 2020 May Melee tournament, but after signing veteran tank player Numlocked, the team is looking to make more changes, heading into the next round of competition. So sad to see Jay go. Um, I know in terms of the Toronto esports or Toronto Overwatch League scene, he was a, a pretty big deal. Um, as they mentioned there, he's got a, sort of a wealth of knowledge and experience in in esports all around kind of thing. Um, so definitely a, a name, that's for sure. And interesting too that uh, it sounds like he's not just leaving Owl, but he's leaving the scene altogether. Um, you know, not necessarily something you you see too too often. These these people stepping away completely. Um, also, I'm sure you know. I just pulled up his Twitter here, and it actually says that he um, he still has overactive media in his uh, in his uh, Twitter profile there. So I do wonder if you know maybe he'll stay on with overactive media in some form or another, uh, which is of course the parent company of the Toronto Defiant and the Mon former Montreal Rebellion, um, but. Regardless, it'll be interesting to see where he goes, what he does, even if he uh, does step out entirely. All the best to Jay, and hopefully 
Toronto can find someone to fill those shoes. Moving on from there. Next story is again from .esports.com. And this one is by Scott Dew and reads, Blizzard is removing hero pools from Overwatch competitive play. So now this, of course, came out on June 8th, which as I record was three days ago, so Monday. Um, This was big news. Definitely a huge huge unveiling kind of thing um a a call that many people had been calling for um however there is some you know some details to it that i will go ahead and read here hero pools are being removed from overwatch's competitive play effective immediately blizzard announced today in a new forum post blizzard explained that the change is indefinite meaning it'll be removed for the foreseeable future but there's quote no tentative date for re-implementation Quote, we've been listening to your feedback and constantly iterating on the feature behind the scenes, said Blizzard community manager Molly Fender. We initially implemented hero pools to address address issues with stagnation, stagnating metas, and to keep matchups exciting and fresh. However, we found that the introduction of experimental card and increased hero balance updates has helped us work towards a healthy, changing meta in competitive play without needing to disable heroes. Hero Pools removed a selection of heroes from competitive play each week in an attempt to prevent metas from taking control for extended periods of time. The change also affects the Overwatch League. Starting June 13th, Owl will use a single Hero Pool for the first two weeks of a tournament cycle, but they won't be used at all for the week before each tournament or during bracket play. Hero Pools was basically a three-month experiment in Overwatch, which began in March. It simply didn't work, and Blizzard has admitted it. The Overwatch League returns this weekend with action on June 13th. Season 22 of Competitive Play is set to end in a little over three weeks. So, obviously, this is the big story of the week kind of thing. Um, it's it's very interesting, and I think overall, the the one major takeaway, although, you know, I think everyone is glad and excited for this change, um, you know, not just in the Overwatch League, but in regular competitive play as well. But I think the biggest takeaway with regards to this story is that Blizzard's listening. Um, it definitely, I think for a while there, it really seemed like, hey, they made these changes and they're really not listening to the scene. They're not listening to the players. They're not listening to the teams. Um, you know, they're they're just kind of doing what they want and uh, forcing all of this down our throats. Whereas I think people were quick to jump to that because really when you look at everything, when you consider all the elements, you consider that the Overwatch League um, season just started back in February, sorry. Um, and then, you know, not even a month in and the COVID-19 pandemic hit and everything closed down and people were working from home and uh, players were competing from their home and had to go back to their home countries and things like that. Um, I definitely think that, uh, you know, a phrase comes to mind where it's kind of like, you know, what what is it? The, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Um, you know, I think it may have seemed like Blizzard was not responding appropriately. However, I think likely they, after introducing the May Melee tournament, I think they probably said, okay, what are the takeaways? What was the pros? What was the cons? What could be improved? And I suspect they said, well, I think the one thing that you know, seemingly everyone enjoyed in the largest capacity was the lack of hero pools. So I think that's that's largely, it looks like Blizzard is listening and they've made that change to appease a lot of the, uh, a lot of the turmoil that had been going on prior. Now, one thing that I've also heard talked about is 
do I think that if they had been quicker to act on this, would more of the pro players that have left the scene, um, you know, for games like Valorant or just in general, would they have stuck around? Um, you know, I'm talking, of course, like players like Sinatra, um, players like uh, the two from Washington, Corey and Stratus. Um, and then, as I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, there was someone else that I can't think of right now. But uh, but yeah, um, do I think that they would have stuck around? Well, I honestly have to say I don't truly do. I think in most of their cases, you saw them ex expressing that they had lost a passion for the game. Um, if you read, you know, Sinatra's goodbye post, he actually says that it happened during the 2-2-2 roll lock. Um, long, you know, at the end of his championship season kind of thing. So I'm sure he kind of rode that high of, of winning and everything. And then he started to look for other opportunities. And I think when Valorant came up, he he quickly identified that as uh, his new venture. But regardless, my point is, I don't think that would have saved um, all of the turmoil that the or turnaround that the Overwatch League has seen. Do I think it would have saved some? Probably. There are probably a few players that will leave or have left that are saying or that were saying, "Oh, the league's not listening to us," or the company that you know. I mean, the company and the league are essentially the same, but um, they're not listening to us, and and they need to make changes to keep us around. And so I, I do think some people probably feel that way, but ultimately I think that uh, I, I don't think it necessarily would have changed the majority of these players that are that are leaving um, change their mind. So anyhow, moving on from there, my next story is from Dexerto.com, posted by Andrew Amos, and it reads something like this. Overwatch devs reveal early look at Hanzo's original wall run. Now, go ahead and check this video out because, or check this article out, sorry. Give Andrew the the the, the click on his article because really I put this one in here because it's kind of cool. Um, there isn't, a, you know, the, there isn't a ton to it. He's got an article here where he just talks about how, uh, you know, technical director, director Timothy Ford shared some footage from some of the early Overwatch testing days. And, uh, you know, I say go check it out just because it's interesting and kind of exciting to see, you know, a bit of what could have been. So he posted this video, uh, Timothy Ford posted this video to his Twitter, I guess, where you actually see um, Hanzo had a sort of wall run ability that's very similar to Lucio's wall run. Um, although it looks a hell of a lot goofier, but that's likely only because it was, you know, pre-alpha design kind of thing. But you got, you actually see, it looks to be on Temple of Anubis, and you see a, two Hanzos running around, and they do this kind of circular wall run along the map that allows them to clear sort of that point A area quite easily. So anyways, I included this one because, you know, I like this kind of little tease, this little Easter egg, this little behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, honestly, I'd love to see more of this um, with with other characters. But uh, But yeah, very interesting to see. And, you know, if you're interested and if you go look at it, it's also interesting, interesting to note the uh, early version of the of the um, interface as well, because that's also kind of, you know, just a, a neat little thing to see that that we're, we're not used to. So moving on from there, our next story is again from Dexerto.com. And this time it is by Bill Cooney and reads, Jeff Kaplan says, Overwatch devs considering major Brigitte armor rework. 
So again, go ahead and give uh, Bill the click on this article. I'm just gonna quickly read a little blurb from it. Um, so long story short, uh, somebody posted something on the forums and Jeff replied and it was a bit of an interesting reply. So it reads like this. Uh, the, the user Jake underscore posted armor kit could also scale with normal HP or something. I think the most broken use of armor is on heroes like Tracer. And Jeff replied, we're debating armor. Agree with many points here. So um, it seems like uh, someone, Andy GM, GMB1 on Twitter actually brought this to light. He kind of took a screenshot of that post on the forums and, and shared it out on Twitter. And so it's very interesting because, uh, I mean, obviously we've seen Brig undergo some changes recently. She used to be a sort of one-man tank support character at the same time. Um, she definitely had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 1v1 capability there where she could annihilate quite a few characters quite quickly um you know with her shield bash whip shot or shield bash uh sort of whack and then whip shot ability she could really take out some quick damage and they obviously they nerfed her they kind of reworked her a little bit um and changed her in a pretty significant way so it's interesting to see that that might be coming again because i mean as that user jake underscore pointed out um her armor packs do definitely benefit certain characters quite a bit more and make them significantly more difficult to uh, play against. Um, Tracer being one of them, Echo being one of them as well, who we've been seeing a lot lately, obviously, um, and and that kind of thing. So interesting stuff there. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll hear more on that soon. I would imagine we'll probably see an experimental card or something to that extent um, relating. Moving on from there, my final story of the week that I want to look at is posted by Michael Gwilliam on Dexerto.com and reads, Overwatch devs reveal more Junkrat changes coming soon. So this article, uh, again, you know, go ahead and give Michael the, the click on his article, just like I say with everyone's articles. Um, so as it mentions in this article, Junkrat actually got some buffs going into, uh, I believe going into the May Melee tournament or just before. Um, they actually changed some things like his projectile, the velocity of his projectiles. Um, they, they lowered the, uh, the exploding time on his, his ability, uh, what's it called, total mayhem when he dies. And then the bombs drop, they actually made those go off quicker. Um, but if you look at this article, we've got a couple quotes here that I want to read. Uh, so let's start with the first one here. We go, we first have, quote, the only way you can get it to work is if you go in the air pause and then do it again the streamer explained but that pause is an extremely bad nerf for junkrat it doesn't make the change worth it on top of that you can't do a side jump in the air which hinders his mobility a lot it's a nerf so here we're actually seeing uh this a streamer jameson pvp x more explaining um how some of the changes made to junkrat were actually a nerf not a buff so that's what that was and uh, he actually posted on the forums here, and we actually see a response from developer Josh No, saying that, quote, we are currently looking at lowering the minimum activation time between when you throw the concussion mine and how soon you can detonate it to help bring back the way some players double mine or side jump, he wrote. So anyways, um, this is an interesting one just because it sort of, you know, I think, in a lot of ways, Junkrat did get buffed. However, you know, depending on how you used the character, um, certainly this could have been seen as a bit of a nerf because it does cut his mobility um, down 
in in a pretty significant way. Um, the ability that uh, that the streamer there, I forget what his name was, uh, Jameson PVPX was talking about there, is pretty essential to Junkrat play, especially for um, you know n making quick adjustments in midair and navigating a, a battlefield, either retreating or advancing quickly, kind of thing. So. Good to see again that uh, the developers are aware of these things and are kind of looking at this and listening. And again, I wouldn't be surprised to see this um, result in another uh, another experimental card change. Um, you know, in theory, we could see both of the the brig changes as well as the junkrat changes uh, together in an upcoming experimental card or something to that extent. So that's all we have for news this week. So I believe next up on the docket, normally, of course, we would go on to the OWL recap, but as there have been no OWL games of recent, we will move right into our final segment of the show, OWL flying at ya. There's no stopping me. All right, so I've got the schedule up here in front of me. So let's take a look at what's going on, what is coming up in just a few short days on Saturday, June 13th. Okay, first up... At 2 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, Mountain Daylight Time even. Are we on Daylight Time? I mean, whatever. We have the London Spitfire taking on the Shanghai Dragons. So, of course, let's take a look at the standings here, just because it never hurts to get a refresher, especially after a break. So, the London Spitfire currently sitting 14th position with a record of 4-5. and five. Facing off against the Shanghai Dragons, sitting in first place overall with a record of 14 and 2. So, obviously, there's some disparity in the number of uh, games played there, simply with the fact that Shanghai's played 13 and London's only played 9. Um, London was one of those uh, Korean teams that had to do a lot of relocating during the pandemic, and because of that, um, missed out on a fair number of regularly scheduled games. So, they are trailing in their number of games played. I think uh, they're they're one of the lower teams. The only two teams lower than them, I believe, at this point are the Seoul Dynasty and the Vancouver Titans. But regardless, we haven't seen a ton of the London Spitfire. However, we have seen probably um, a, a decent enough amount to accurately predict this game. And I'd say overall, it's looking like Shanghai will take London um, likely pretty easily. However, that said, London has had a few um, surprising matches um, if we rewind a few weeks. So definitely, you know, fingers crossed that London comes out strong in the start of the, uh, the whatever this next tournament is called. What is it called? Let me see if I've got it written, if it's anywhere. May, may, lay, let's jump ahead. Nothing there, let's jump ahead. Nothing there, let's jump ahead. Nothing there. Okay, yeah, I don't remember what the June, uh, the summer, summer slam, the summer, summer super tournament, something like that. Anyways, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Hopefully London for London fans, they can get a win there. That'd be a huge win if they can get that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how Shanghai comes out. Um, you know, obviously last we saw them playing in the May melee tournament finals for the Atlantic region or for the Asia region, sorry. Um, they did have that massive comeback against Seoul. You know, Seoul took them to the edge, uh, 3-0, and and then Shanghai manages to come back and complete the reverse sweep, taking it all the way to seven rounds and bringing it 4-3 to for them. So Shanghai obviously coming off a big win, but as at the same time having a decent-sized break in there, you never know what could happen. So be interesting to see how that one turns out. 
Moving on from there, we then have the New York Excelsior facing off against the Seoul Dynasty. Now, the Seoul Dynasty sitting in 8th position overall currently, and the New York Excelsior sitting in 4th position. So New York has a record of 10-3, and three, Seoul 6-4. and four. So Seoul definitely sitting kind of middle of the pack there with that 6-4. and four. Um, They are ahead of a number of teams with the same number of wins as them, but only because they have so many fewer losses because they've played so many fewer games. So Seoul, I think, still a bit of a question mark. They've, you know, as I mentioned just minutes ago, facing off against Shanghai, you know, they came out really strong, and then they managed to lose in a reverse sweep. So Seoul, definitely a bit of a question mark in that they have some questionable performances. Um, they've come out with a few big wins, but definitely hard to predict where exactly they'll fall. New York certainly looking uh, stronger than than I think uh, Seoul does. However, uh, we also have a new addition to New York, which is, of course, uh, Rookie of the Year from last season, Haxall, now playing with New York. So... That'll arguably be the most interesting part of that matchup is does Haxall play? And if he does, what kind of an impact does he make? Where does he fit in? Um, you know, in a lot of ways, who does he maybe, uh, or which roster slot does he maybe fulfill? Just because New York actually is also known for having a fair number of um, DPS players. So I just pulled up their roster here. So let's take a quick look. They've got Nene. They've got Who Are You? They've got Sabiolbi. They've got Libero. And they've now got Haxel. So they have five uh, sorry, DPS players. So definitely not a small number, just like we talked about earlier in the show with uh, Dallas acquiring Paintbrush. And also, they're definitely not uh, scant on the... Um, uh, skill side of things there. Sabiolbi, Libero, um, you know, Nene, all, who are you even? You know, all very skilled DPS players. I'd say probably who are you is the, the weakest of the lot. Um, and Haxall coming in there, definitely I would say Haxall's got to be number one there. Um, if not, maybe he's competing with Libero, maybe. maybe? It's very hard to say. Um, but... Uh, but regardless, um, it'll be interesting to see where he slots in to that roster. So exciting stuff there. Happy to see Hacks all coming back. And uh, you know what? I might just watch a replay of that game uh, just to see some Hacks all action. Moving on from there. First uh, reasonable game for me to watch is at 1 p.m. Saturday, June 13th. And it is the Paris Eternal against the Boston Uprising. Do I think I'll catch that game? Uh, if I'm not doing anything else, I'll turn it on. But I don't expect too, too much out of that game. Uh, Paris Eternal currently sitting in 7th place with a record of 7-5. and five. Boston sitting in last place, 20th, with a record of 2-10. and ten. Of course, what's interesting about that um, is the fact that Paris uh, definitely being beat in the May Melee Tournament. You know, some might say a bit of an upset. I say expected because I don't think Paris is actually necessarily as good as a lot of people do think they are. Um, you know, Paris and Atlanta, I think, are two teams that are highly overrated. And at the same time, Boston, you know, looking better as of their last couple games. You know, not necessarily coming out with a win in the May Melee Tournament, but I don't think anyone would have expected that, really. However, definitely coming very close. And before that, 
coming off of a win. Um, Boston, as we may all recall, or likely all recall, uh, recently signing Punk to their roster, and seemingly Punk was a big boost in team morale and, and in the roster. So who knows what could happen there? Honestly, I'm going to cross my fingers that Boston comes out with a win because that'd be pretty huge if they can beat the seventh place team. And as well, I mean, that would bump them up to uh, 18th position, uh, <laughs> knocking Vancouver into the 20th position and the Washington Justice into 19th. So that's what that looks like there. The next game, Saturday, 3 p.m., uh, potentially, probably my second most anticipated game of the weekend, is the Florida Mayhem facing off against the Dallas Fuel. So, of course, uh, the Florida Mayhem doing exceedingly well in the May Melee Tournament, coming in second overall in the Pacific, uh, or in the North American uh, bracket, uh, losing only to the San Francisco Shock, and in fact, I think more surprisingly, beating the Philadelphia Fusion in that tournament, of course, they currently see themselves in fifth place overall with a record of nine and four. So it'll be very interesting to see how they do coming off a break, um, as well as facing off against a team like the Dallas Fuel. Although currently sitting in 15th position with a record of four and six, Dallas looking fairly strong. I think Dallas is probably one of the teams that is better than their positioning right now. Um, you know, I think Dallas could easily climb the, the ranks a few spots there to sit a little higher. I think Dallas has had, you know, maybe a couple tough losses lately, but they also have a difficult schedule facing off against a number of difficult teams. But that said, it's not like Florida is anything too shabby, and I personally will be cheering for Florida. So Florida, fingers crossed, go get them, and let's see you win. Moving on from there, 5 p.m. on Saturday, we have the Atlanta Reign facing off against the Los Angeles Gladiators. Atlanta sitting in 11th with a record of 5-5, five and five, sitting at a perfect 500, if you will. And the Los Angeles Gladiators sitting in 13th, only two spots below with a record of 4-5. and five. So it'll be interesting here because this should be, in theory, a relatively similar matchup. However, uh, in my opinion, as I mentioned you know, just minutes ago, the Atlanta Reign, one of those uh, maybe more overrated teams. Um, you know, I definitely, I personally think that Atlanta is not one of the better teams. I think they will drop farther in the rankings once all is said and done. Um, and I am not necessarily a big fan of them. Um, I, I think they largely get by on individual skill and not so much team play. And as long as a team can work together um, to shut down the, those individuals with the high levels of skill, then I think that, uh, that they can take them out. Now, the real question in this situation is, do I think the Los Angeles Gladiators are a team that can beat them? That is a bit of a toss-up. Um, overall, I can definitely say I haven't been incredibly impressed with the Los Angeles Gladiators this, uh, this season. I've been, uh, I don't know how to phrase this. I've been cautiously optimistic with them seemingly every time they play and seemingly every time they play, uh, they let me down a little bit, or at least lately they have been letting me down. Um, I'm not too sure what it is. I think they do have some talent for sure. I think their, uh, their tank line up with uh, space and OG seems to be quite good but I think they're in a lot of ways carrying some of the rest of the team. Although it's not to say they don't have talent because uh, 
you know, looking at their uh, their lineup, DPS Birdring is definitely a very skilled uh, DPS player. You know, Big Goose and Shaz on the support line are definitely not uh, not not chumps in any way, shape, or form. So, I think uh, if Los Angeles could see their team work a little little more cooperatively, then I think they could come out, come on top in this match. Um, however, I think you know, based on recent play, they've got a way to go. But I'm going to cross my fingers for them as well, because like I say, I'm not just not a fan of Atlanta's uh, team or play style. So. so that's that. Moving on to Sunday, June 14th, we actually have no uh, Asia region games, apparently, which a little bit surprising, but that's okay. Uh, first game is at 1pm, and we see the Philadelphia Fusion facing off against the Houston Outlaws. So, it'll be interesting, or exciting even, to see the Philadelphia Fusion back in action. Philadelphia currently sitting in second under the Shanghai Dragons with a record of 13-1. and So sitting on top for the North American region um, and sitting in second overall. Meanwhile, the Houston Outlaws sitting in 12th place with a record of 5-9. and Now, as I was just saying that I think uh, Dallas is sitting lower in the standings than maybe they they deserve to be. I think Houston is sitting higher in the standings than they deserve to be. I think Houston recently got a few uh, wins that helped bump them up, but I think Houston is probably a bottom five team. And, you know, I don't say that to be insulting, certainly, because I think two of, uh, well, my two, you know, Canadian home teams are both definitely bottom five teams uh, with the Toronto Defiant and the Vancouver Titans. <laughs> I just shed a tear, so. Anyways, Looking at that one, I think most people will pick Philadelphia, and I think I certainly would be with them. Moving on from there, we have a 3 p.m. game, a battle for Canada, where we have the Vancouver Titans facing off against the Toronto Defiant. So a rematch of that uh, qualifier match before the before the uh, May Melee tournament. Now, uh, two essential, two. I mean, you know, currently Toronto is sitting in 16th place with, with a record of four and eight. Vancouver in 19th place with a record of two and six. Um, but really, I think it's fair to call Toronto a bottom five team right now, um, even though they're technically, oh, they're in that fifth spot. Okay. Yep. I'm crazy. So bottom five team. Anyways, uh, battle for Canada, a matchup of two bottom five teams and a rematch of that qualifier going into the May Melee tournament. Now, this one will definitely be interesting because Although we do have Hero Lock in uh, in these first two weeks in the Overwatch League, and I believe Echo is banned. I think it's Echo, Brig, Sombra, and I can't remember who the other one is. Echo, Brig, Sombra, and there's a tank, obviously. Oh, it's uh, Winston, or uh, Wrecking Ball, sorry. So anyways, the one thing that I think that will affect largely is the Echo play on Vancouver, which I think was a part of why we saw... Vancouver take Toronto to that fifth round in the qualifier for the May Melee tournament. Um, we did see it go two to three uh, in favor of Toronto, of course, but I think with the introduction of Shredlock into the lineup on Vancouver, we almost saw Vancouver beat Toronto. Now, I think there was another factor at play on the Toronto side that, you know, not was the sole cause, but uh, contributed at least, and that was the lack of Surefor in the lineup on Toronto. Um, as we all know, I'm a big Surefore fan, and I think that any team with him on their roster uh, should have him in their active lineup, and for whatever reason, we have not been seeing Surefore lately, although I believe he made a comment that, uh, or the team made a comment that he was going to be out uh, for 
for a little bit of a mental break on his own time kind of thing. So that's fair. You know, players should take care of themselves for sure. But I do hope to see him back in play. Um, and I would hope to see him doing well. And uh, honestly, this game, really, I'd like to be able to pick one team to win it. But if Vancouver plays in a similar fashion they played in the knockout uh, or in the qualifier round there against Toronto, and if Toronto plays in a similar fashion that they played that game as well, you could see the scales tip towards Vancouver. Um, we could see the new Vancouver second wind lineup get their first win of the season, um, you know, a mere 20, 19, sorry, weeks into the season. So exciting stuff there. Moving on from there, we have our final matchup of the weekend. On June 14th, Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain Time, we have the Los Angeles Valiant facing off against the Washington Justice. Now, the Washington Justice, obviously, um, another one of these struggling bottom five teams. However, the Washington Justice also have, I think, officially wiped their roster with uh, saying goodbye to Ellie Vote last week and now have an all-Korean team. Um, as I've covered in past weeks, they've got Janu signed for a uh, full-term contract. They've got Stitch signed for a full-term contract. So, you know, two players who have played together there as well. Um, and I believe they're even all set up and, uh, you know, at their new home base in Washington. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, to see what the new team looks like and uh, see them all playing out of, a, you know, a centralized location as it seems like they probably will be, even if they're, you know, maybe in separate rooms or whatever. But I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for that one uh, just to see if this new Washington Justice has anything going for them. Um, obviously the Los Angeles Valiant sitting in 10th place right now with a record of six and six, perfect 500 again, and the Washington justice in 18th with a record of three and 10. So it's honestly, it's hard for me because I like the Los Angeles Valiant. Um, especially lately, I think they've, you know, been on a, an upswing despite, you know, their loss in the, uh, May Melee tournament to San Francisco. I think San Francisco is a, a big sort of stepping stone for them, a, a big wall to climb for them but one day hopefully they can beat them. Whereas Washington obviously has been struggling, struggling, struggling. So with the rebuild, it'll be very interesting just to see what Washington can do. And with that, that is all of the games coming up this next week in the Overwatch League. So if I go to the week after that, week 20, we do have games scheduled already for that week. And it looks like we have a fair number more games as well. Um, we've got two Asia, or, sorry, three Asia region games on the Saturday. We've then got one, two, three, four North America region games on Saturday as well. We've then got three uh, Asia region games on Sunday and three North American games on Sunday. So we're also seeing the return of uh, double headers where teams play, you know, Saturday and Sunday. So I won't look too much at that schedule. I'll save that for next week's show. But exciting stuff and glad to see the league coming back. And with that, that brings us to the end of episode 19 of One Man Watchpoint. A shorter episode, but again, you know, with no games to cover, um, that's where we land. So thank you again for listening to a One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. You can, of course, find this podcast on all podcast services, Apple Music, uh, Google Podcast Services, as well as Spotify. And I am, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. Please follow me on Twitter. Please follow me on Instagram or just send me messages on there. Um, if you have recommendations for the show or topics you want me to talk about or anything like that, you know, I ain't no expert, but I'd like to be uh, 
uh, talking and stuff. So, you know, hit me up there. Anyways, uh, this was One Man Watchpoint, episode 19. I hope you enjoyed your stay, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.